It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Bruce Nolan from Buffalo Rumblings, and I am your host today of Locked On Bills. Today's Twitter Tuesday, ladies and gentlemen, and on Twitter Tuesday... We wear pink. No, I'm just kidding. What we do on Twitter Tuesday is we let the listeners control the dialogue. And as always, you guys filled today's episode up with some great, amazing topics that we can talk about. So let's not wait any further. Let's dive right in. Our first question of the day relates to draftable prospects. Kevin says, I was wondering if you had a chance to look at Chase Claypool. Is he a fit for the Bills outside of just being big? Chase Claypool is a wide receiver from Notre Dame. He is very, very big. If you're looking for a big wide receiver, 6'4", 229 is about as good as you're going to do in this class. I have had an opportunity to look at Chase Claypool a little bit. I finished the tight end class, and I went and started working on wide receivers, and Chase Claypool was one of the people who I selected to go for first. Chase Claypool is absolutely large. 6'4", 229, like I said, if you want the size, he's where you go. My question with Chase Claypool is, are you getting Duke Williams? Now, Chase Claypool wins in a lot of ways that you don't typically see vertical receivers win, which is one of the things I think that makes him intriguing as a prospect. A lot of times, one of the things you'll see as you hear draft analysts talk about T. Higgins and talk about some of the size receivers is you'll start to see questions about whether or not they can win on things other than vertical routes. So I want you to to see vertical receivers and see big receivers and see that there's a Venn diagram between the two of them. Not to say that if you're a big receiver that you can only do those things and that's going to just entirely screw up your career. Calvin Johnson made an entire career on winning on vertical cut routes. I don't know if you guys know this or not. Calvin Johnson didn't run a dramatic route tree. He didn't run a ton of different routes all the time and won constantly on all of them. And so I'm not saying it's going to screw up your entire career if you can't do it. I'm saying it's better if you can. And so one of the questions about someone like T. Higgins is can he win aside from vertical cutting routes? Chase Claypool has shown that he can win on different kinds of routes, drags and bubble screens and things like that. So that sets him apart and makes him more interesting as a prospect. Now, I do think that the Bills end up selecting a receiver higher than Claypool will get drafted. I think the question for for Chase Claypool is, do the Bills pick two? I mean, it's not unreasonable for the Bills to pick two players at that position. It's not like we have such a bevy of talent at that spot that we couldn't possibly make room for more than one drafted receiver. We absolutely could. And so I think with Chase Claypool, the question is not do we draft him as our receiver, this round? Is he the guy this draft that we're going to put all our hopes and dreams on? I think that would be a mistake. But the question is, do we pick two? And if we do pick two, does Chase fall into that? We take him as the second receiver we drafted. I think that with Brian Dable's system, I think he can make fits for it. You're not going to see a lot of the scenarios with Brian Dable where there's people who aren't a fit from a wide receiver standpoint. We saw it with Cole Beasley this year. We didn't see the routes that Cole Beasley ran in 2019 duplicated a lot by a receiver the Bills had in 2018. I think that's a great example of Dable making a system that asks receivers to do things they're good at. 
We didn't see those pivot routes from Cole Beasley. You didn't see those constantly run by a player the Bills had in 2018. And that adaptability at offensive coordinator means there's going to be a lot of different scenarios where we have a player and they're not immediately going to be written off for the Bills as not a fit. Next question comes from Jeremy. Jeremy, I was wondering your thoughts on whether you believe the offense has gelled enough to where McBean will entrust rookies as key pieces. Backup wide receiver, uh, back, sorry, backup running back, wide receiver one or two to the offense next year. If so, do you believe the moves in free agency will be a predictor of our draft, i.e. Bills sign veteran skill position players, thus making it more likely that skill position players are taken later in the draft and vice versa? Appreciate your time. Go Bills. Jeremy, I really love this question. Are we at a spot in the rebuild where rookies can come in and play meaningful snaps and barely be trusted by this team, by the front office, by the coaching staff? I think the answer is yes. And I think that really when you look at that, you look at different pieces. You look at Tredavious White, who walked off the bus and was the starting cornerback for this team. You look at Tremaine Edmonds, who walked off the bus and was plugged in as a starting middle linebacker and never looked back. I think if the front office and the coaching staff believe that player has the right mental makeup to be put in there and to constantly churn along and to do the things that are necessary in order to be successful at the position that they're put in, I think that the coaching staff is clearly willing to do that. I think the question is much more about the prospect and whether the prospect is the type of player that you want to throw in there rather than what stage are we at in the rebuild because we did that at different stages of the rebuild as it was. So I think really this is one of those things where as you are profiling a player who you think might be a fit to the Bills, the question is do you think this is the type of player that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean are willing to have walk off the bus and say, listen, we're entrusting you with a meaningful part of this team this year. We're trusting that you're going to come in and be ready to go. Can you do it? And I think that there are some players in free agency and some players in the draft that you can do that with. Kyle says, given that Dable clearly wants to run power in certain situations, who are the backs in this class that fit the bruiser mold and what rounds would they be good value? So, I've talked about Zach Moss before, and on yesterday's episode of Locked on Bills, I talked about James Robinson from Illinois State. Those are some two players. uh, Zach obviously will be taken much higher than James Robinson, I think, but they're two players in the mid to back end of the draft that I think could be a good fit. They're both in the high high 5'10", 5'11", 5'9", that sort of range. 220s as far as body type goes, but they still have vision and contact balance. So I don't want to get somebody whose only trait is that they're big, right? I think one of the things that we've talked about on the Nick and Nolan show on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network is that having red zone ability as a running back is not just about being big and having red zone ability as a receiver is not just about being big. So those are two people who I think fit the mold of the type of running back who could potentially run power well. Now, to be fair, Devin Singletary can run power well. Okay, It's not like Devin Singletary is this tiny satellite back. You know, Devin Singletary is not not C.J. Spiller. That's not who he is, right? He's not a satellite back who shies away from contact and needs to be used in space constantly because he can't run between the tackles. That's not who Devin Singletary is. Devin Singletary is a player who can play between the tackles. When you look at a compliment for him, the question is, do you want a compliment who can do the things he can do? And so when you take him off the field, you're not limited? Or do you want a compliment who can do the things that he can't do? Someone who has 60-yard breakaway speed. But then you're 
tipping your hand a little bit more when they're on the field. So it's an interesting argument as far as what type of running back we should get to complement Devin Singletary. But those are two names to keep an eye on. Jerry says, just want to get your thoughts. Don't have to go into too much detail with everything, but do you still think Gross Matos from Penn State is still a first-rounder and a good pick with these new allegations about him? For those of you who are not aware, Uter Gross Matos from Penn State, who is a pass rusher, a 4-3 defensive end, true and true, is someone who got named in the Penn State hazing scandal that has recently come up. I think right now, the chances are that he's probably still a first-round pick, but we're really early in this process. Teams have not had the opportunity to interview him, and we're not quite sure what's going to come out of these allegations. So I don't think it's the type of thing that would push him out right now, but we're still very early, and it very well could create a problem down the line, but I'm not ready to comment it on I'm not ready to comment on it yet as being something that would push him out of the first round. We talk about physical fitness a lot, but there's another side of the game that's just as important. I'm talking about mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body, and Calm can help you train your brain so you sleep better, have less stress, and perform at your best. For LeBron James, sleep is an important part of his mental fitness routine. He says, quote, getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things I can do for my body and mind. And if you head to calm.com slash locked on, you'll get 40% off a Calm premium membership. With Calm, you have access to the nature scenes LeBron loves, like rain on leaves, and so much more, like sleep stories and meditations. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash locked on. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash locked on. That's calm.com slash locked on. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Nathan S. says, We picked a defensive end in the first round and Brandon Bean is looking at the following wide receivers that are on the board. Who do you think we pick? Justin Jefferson, Jalen Rager, KJ Hamler, Brandon Ayuk, Donovan Peoples-Jones. Of those people, if I'm sitting there in the second and Justin Jefferson is there, I'm taking Justin Jefferson. Not because he's necessarily a superior player to the other people that you mentioned. I think he just does a lot of things well. You know, Brandon Ayak, I think, would be second on that board. Donovan Peoples-Jones is someone I think will be better in the NFL than he was in college because I think having Shea Patterson as his quarterback really held back his play. But... You know, when you talk about Jalen Rager, you're talking about a really, a really significant speed guy. And so I think Justin Jefferson does the necessary things. He's someone who has the yak ability that you would like to see from these receivers that we don't necessarily get from Cole Beasley and from John Brown. You know, we talk about size as being a different dynamic in this wide receiver core. How about getting some yards after catch? 
How about getting some yak ability that I don't think we probably have? I think that's something we should probably get too. And Justin Jefferson has that, but he also has the ability to make contested catches. We saw that this year in the LSU offense. And I think Brandon Ayuk has those two has that as well. So I think I'd go with Jefferson first if those people were on the board because I think he gives us not one but two aspects that we currently don't have. Plus, he can win on multiple different routes. So that's where I go with Justin Jefferson if those players are on the board. Joshua Dix says, I feel like the Bills are going to look to trade for a wide receiver. Free agency will drive the price up too high, and the draft is a crapshoot. That said, with the Bears cap situation, I think Allen Robinson would be a target. What do you think would a second get it done? I do not see a reason why the Bears would get rid of Allen Robinson. I understand that they're a little bit tight against the cap. Allen Robinson is their number one receiver who's played like a number one receiver, has justified the contract that they signed, is quite frankly, based on what other receivers are going to sign for, Allen Robinson is going to look like a real significant bargain real soon as far as that goes. And with you going into a year where you have Trubisky and you need him to show that he's the guy, I do not see a reason why the Bears would get rid of Allen Robinson at this point. I just don't see it as a potential target for the Bills. Henry says, how would you feel about trading up for CeeDee Lamb, and what do you think it would take? I know there's great value for receivers in the late first and into the second, but I feel as though a talent like Lamb would be huge. A talent like Lamb would be huge. There's no question. CeeDee Lamb or Jerry Judy is typically people's wide receiver one in a lot of cases. And so I think CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy will both be top 10, top 12 picks. So you have to move up at least 10 spots, maybe 15 spots. It's going to take this year's first round, next year's first round, and probably a little more to get it done. I personally would not be in favor of it. I would not be in favor of it because I think that the gap between CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, and someone like LaVisca Chenault at 22 is not so significant that I would be willing to pass up next round's first round pick in order to get it done. In addition, we have to prepare ourselves for the idea that the Bills aren't going to be without needs. You're not one player away, like Brandon Bean said in his post, uh, postseason press conference. You're not one player away. If the Bills think they're one player away, I would be much more, much more inclined to think about it. But that's not where the Bills are. And thankfully, Brandon Bean agrees with me. I know that he has a little bit of a, a trade-up thing Brandon Bean learned under Gettleman and absolutely has a propensity for trading up I would not be in favor of trading up for a wide receiver given the depth of this class Daniel says I know it isn't the sexy pick or a great need but is there an impact offensive line player that is projected to be available when the bills are picking that could move the needle and take our offensive line from average to good and make us great or dominant. You're right. It's not a sexy pick or a great need. And people would probably be really upset if we drafted a offensive tackle or an offensive guard at 22. That being said, if Makai Becton is on the, the board at 22 and the Bills take him, I'm going to get it. I'm absolutely going to get it, especially if they move Cody Ford into guard. I mean, just imagine if you have Cody Ford in at left guard because Quentin Spain walks. You have John Feliciano. You have Makai Becton at right tackle. You have Deion Dawkins. That's a mean offensive line. I mean, Mitch Morse at that point looks like the smallest and tamest person on that offensive line. Now, I don't necessarily know if it's the best fit. I think Makai Becton is probably a left tackle in the NFL, but he is someone who displays rare traits for someone that big. He's not just big. you know. And people look at these tackles, and we're getting to the point now where size is almost 
becoming a strange derogative toward offensive tackles because we've seen so many people who were so big run into weight problems in the NFL, not be able to control it, have some significant problems with power, not be able to use their length. When you have a a person who is that big, it almost becomes a negative, which is really strange because I feel like 20 years ago, we were looking at people and going, man, you know, he's that big. Look, big, big cat Mike Williams, 6'8", you know, he's so huge. And you have all these, these players who were lauded for their size. And we've kind of come around now as a draft community where once you reach past a certain height and weight, it's almost a negative. And it's that way in a lot of positions. But I think the real thing for Becton is not, don't just look at the size. Look at the tape and look how well he moves for a man that large. This is not a, you know, a, a road grading power right tackle where that's all he does. Now, don't get me wrong. He's going to throw dudes out of the club. I totally get it. But it's not just who he is. We use the term dancing bear a lot with offensive linemen. But this is someone who has the feet. He is so smooth. Now, to be fair, playing at Louisville, he didn't necessarily always face top pass rushers. You know, if you put on some of the tape, uh, the Boston College tape comes to mind. You know, it's not necessarily always awesome. But it's not going to be with a player you pick at the back half of of the first round. I think that there's a possibility We would go there. I would argue it's probably fairly low, but it wouldn't be horrible. I wouldn't run out of the room, you know, screaming obscenities and throwing my my remotes if that were to happen. Justin says, here's a humble brag softball for you to blast out of the park. Thank you, Justin. I really appreciate that. How do you think the Bills would have fared if they had drafted Ed Oliver in the first round, DK Metcalf in the second, Chase Winovich in the third, and then Dawson Knox with the repercussive moves of... Ty Insecki being your undisputed starting right tackle and LaShawn McCoy sticking for the season. What would the difference in record be? Would we have won a playoff game? Which scenario makes you more excited for the future? Okay, let's take the first one. What would the difference in record have been? I'm not sure it would have been markedly different because Ty Insecki being your undisputed starting right tackle is great. I love Ty Insecki, but if you would have gotten hurt, I would much rather have Cody Ford, who I admittedly don't think is a tackle long-term in the NFL. I'm still sticking to that stance. But having Ryan Bates in that spot would have caused very significant damage to the offensive line because we're assuming that in this scenario, Adrian Waddle still went down. And so when Ty Insecki went down, instead of having Cody Ford be your undisputed right tackle, you have Ryan Bates, and that becomes a problem. So I understand taking DK Metcalf in that spot, but not having Cody Ford at right tackle that last couple weeks may have caused damage would we have won a playoff game I don't think so I don't think the 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 outcome of the Texans game is markedly different than it would have been in fact you could make an argument that having LaShawn McCoy sticking around for the season would have actually been worse off than having Devin Singletary Devin Singletary was really really good guys now, he didn't necessarily get all the carries he probably should have, but Devin Singletary was really good. I think people are sleeping on how good he was this year, and I think he performed better than LaShawn McCoy did in 18 and maybe better than he did in 17. And so I think Devin Singletary was an upgrade from LaShawn McCoy, given where he is now. He's not an upgrade from peak prime LaShawn McCoy, but he was an upgrade from LaShawn McCoy where he was at the time. Which scenario makes you more excited for the future? That's a good one. I think that the scenario that you gave me probably gives me more excitement about the future because DK Metcalf has proven that he can play in the NFL, and I was a huge Chase Winovich fan. Going into this year, our main concerns are wide receiver and pass rusher. 
Now, if that had happened, our needs would be different. We wouldn't probably be looking at wide receiver as significantly of a need as we probably are now. We may still be looking at pass rusher depending on what we do with Shaq Lawson. We could still be going in thinking, gosh, we still need another defensive end. But I liked Chase Winovich. I probably would have been more excited for the future had that happened. Matt says, I was wondering if you had a ranking of which receiver skill sets are more important than others, specifically for Josh Allen in the Bills offense. For example, I'm not sure if having a well-developed route tree would be more important than having someone who can adjust to off-target throws. And while deep speed is nice, I feel like we already have that on the roster and Allen doesn't have great deep accuracy yet, whereas getting someone who can easily separate and widen windows would help Allen since he has a more general accuracy than precision. I was also wondering what you thought about taking more than one receiver in this year's class. If it is as deep as they say it is, we could get two out of the first four or five rounds. Wouldn't that improve our odds of hitting on at least one and add to the potential of creating a more dynamic receiving core in the future? If our primary need is basically wide receiver, edge, and cornerback, what would be the issue with spending five or six of our nine picks on these positions, assuming we actually use all nine? A lot to dive in there, Matt. Let's start with the traits. I think having a wide receiver who can adjust to off-target throw and can win contested catches is more important now for Josh Allen than it has ever been. One of my concerns going into the 2019 season was watching Josh Allen's performance with Kelvin Benjamin and Andre Holmes. Is that a receiver type that he doesn't necessarily like throwing the ball to? He threw the ball 10 times to Duke Williams in a playoff game, ladies and gentlemen. It's clear Josh Allen is ready at this stage in development. Now, we don't know if that means he developed into a spot where he is comfortable making those throws or if he was always comfortable making those throws and Andre Holmes and Kelvin Benjamin were somehow even worse than we thought they were. That's a possibility too. But I think that having someone who can win at the catch point is really important for this offense because I think John Brown and Cole Beasley can absolutely do it, but it's not really their strength separation in the short area, winning against man coverage in the short area, those are things they really do well. I think that that's a big trait that needs to happen with the Bills receivers. Now, one of the things you need to know is not to get too in love with that trait. Don't get so in love with that trait that you end up taking a big receiver over a good receiver. Nick and I talked about that on our Buffalo Rumblings pod last week, and that is let's not get obsessed with getting size at the receiver position, so much so that we take a lesser prospect. Always take the best prospect. Now, traits are a part of that, for sure. But let's not take James Hardy instead of Deshaun Jackson. So, in regards to taking more than one receiver in the class, absolutely I can take more than one receiver in the class. I'm completely fine with that. If, if you have someone who you think can replace Isaiah McKenzie, and someone who you think can replace Duke Williams, then let's take two. Now, I think that the chances are we might sign one in free agency and then draft one based on what I know about Brandon Bean and his tendencies, but I'm completely fine taking two of them. Now, as far as taking five or six of our nine picks on the positions of wide receiver, edge, and cornerback and just loading up at those positions, I think that having that, that specific of a focus in any draft is probably bad because you have to realize that there are other needs aside from the three biggest ones. You know, linebacker depth is a need. You know, making sure that we have players on the offensive line that can deal with potential departures like Quentin Spain. You know, if he leaves and we move Cody Ford over, then we have we have a loss there at the interior offensive line and we need someone there. And we also need, you know, to have a running back complement to Devin Singletary. I think the best place to get that is in the draft, in the mid-rounds, maybe the late rounds there. So 
just because they're your three biggest needs, if you completely ignore them, then you start to run into problems. Plus, you're much more likely to have to cut a draft pick if you stack them all out of positions. And then you just run into wasted resource issues. So in addition to not thinking we're going to use nine picks, I don't think anyone who has studied Brandon Bean for any amount of time thinks we're going to use nine draft picks. I wouldn't be in favor of using five or six of our nine picks on three positions. Taylor says, as we start to dive into the wide receiver prospects, I wanted to know if we can loop back around to Zay Jones and his draft profile. How do you explain the miss? I know that wasn't a bean pick, but he was regarded as a top five wide receiver in the class and was a bust. What part of his game didn't translate and why? Zay Jones had inconsistent hands and couldn't separate at the next level. A lot of his catches in college were manufactured for him and they were funneling the offense through him, but he didn't have the ability at the next level to consistently separate regardless of his physical gifts. People don't realize this, but Zay Jones physically was a freak. He absolutely tested extremely well coming out, but that doesn't mean that the nuances of route running will allow you to get open in the short area. And Zay Jones couldn't do it. And you add that to the fact that he came in with a little bit of the yips and his hands never really got underneath him. That's why he busted out. And we had players who could consistently do things that he could do better. And the speed didn't translate into him being a deep threat. It didn't translate into him being able to separate in the short area. And so his physical skills skills just didn't translate to the next level the way that you wanted them to. Joe Marino says, hey, Bruce, I'm a big fan. Hi, Joe. I'm a big fan of you, too. What are your top three Jim Carrey movies, in your opinion? Also, what is the worst? Okay, so I'm surprised this has not come up at yet. But my top three Jim Carrey movies are Liar Liar, Ace Ventura, and Bruce Almighty. You might find that last one very hard to believe. But Liar Liar, I think that is Jim Carrey at his comedic best I really think that Jim Carrey in that spot is a master of physical comedy I think that there's some things where if you had put a different person a different actor in there and asked him to have the exact same lines with the same mannerisms it wouldn't have been funny with Jim Carrey I think Dumb and Dumber gets an honorary you know spot here I love Dumb and Dumber but I think that Liar Liar's got to be on that list Ace Ventura for the same reason Ace Ventura also has a nice little football tie-in, and I love that. And again, we have the physical comedy from him, and I think that's really peak Jim Carrey. But Bruce Almighty is my number one. Bruce Almighty is not just my number one because it takes place in Buffalo, and there's that wonderful story there. But it's very strange. I actually walk away from watching that movie, and I feel like I need to go out and be a better person. I don't know if that sounds strange to anybody else or not, but when I'm done watching Bruce Almighty, I feel like I want to go work in a homeless shelter. I want to go give away some stuff to some people. I feel warm and fuzzy inside, and I understand that it's not as wacky and zany, and it's not nearly as critically reviewed as some of Jim Carrey's other movies, but it speaks to me on a very strange level, and that's one of the reasons why it ended up being my pseudonym, and it's because I feel like we're, we live in a culture nowadays where being real is more important than being kind, and I blame the real world for this. I blame the real world saying, what happens when people stop being nice and start being real? And I think that we live in a culture that's kind of obsessed with being real, even if being real is not necessarily beneficial. If the real you is a jerk, don't be the real you. Be a better version of the real you. Don't be real. Be kind. 
being kind to somebody who you don't like isn't being fake. It's just being a good person. So I think that there's something about that movie that really strikes me on an emotional level that I really like. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a cute movie. It's not overly heavy, but you walk out feeling good. And it's just it's just a feel-good movie. It takes place in Buffalo. Lovely chocolate chip cookie stories. Um, I just I just really enjoy it. And every time I see the shot of the highway and I go, hey, I've been on that highway that's right there in Buffalo, you know, I really, I really enjoy it. It makes me feel happy. Next question comes from Josh. Josh says, many will remember Saran Neal's season for the missed sack versus Watson, but in my opinion, he became a very crucial player. Drafted as a safety, but can play slot corner, nickel linebacker, outside corner, and special teams. Am I overrating his future importance? No, Josh, you are not. Saran Neal has become exactly what we hoped he was going to be coming out of Jacksonville State. He was a Swiss Army knife at Jacksonville State. And when you have those tweeners, ideally you want two, one of two outcomes for those players. You want them to specialize in one thing and become great at that. Or you want that ability to be variable and be multiple to translate to the next level. And a lot of times it doesn't. But Saran Neal, it did. We can play him at slot corner. We can play him at outside corner. We can play him at special teams. His versatility absolutely matters. And when you have rosters that are only 53 people and you have 22 positions on the team, you need that versatility. Having that versatility is extremely valuable. Being able to play on defense in multiple positions and play special teams almost guarantees Saran Neal a roster spot for as long as he wants a roster spot, as long as he can keep doing those things. He's absolutely valuable to the team, and I'm glad you brought him up, Josh. That is it, ladies and gentlemen, for Twitter Tuesdays. As always, thank you so much for filling up Joe's box. I'm sorry you got my opinions instead of his, but I hope that I was able to answer your questions sufficiently to be able to provide you value. Thank you so much for having me. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. I am Bruce Nolan from Buffalo Rumblings, and as always, go Bills. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.